Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is Eric LeMay, a host on the New Books Network. Today, I interview Sarah Durham-Wilson, whose new book, Maiden to Mother, Unlocking Our Archetypal Journey into the Mature Feminine, is a reclamation and celebration of women, women's power, and the possibilities for women's lives outside of limitations imposed by our patriarchal culture. Wilson seeks to unearth a sacred, ancient, and empowering connection to the divine feminine, reviving the stories of such figures as the legendary Sumerian goddess Inanna, and showing us what wisdom these stories hold for women who find themselves under threat by the misogynistic politics and policies currently proliferating around us. And Durham is a live wire, a generous and profound spirit who seeks to connect women with one another and with their birthright, the chance to become whole and radiant selves who can lead the world through this wounded present to a future in which each of us and our planet can flourish. Sarah Durham Wilson, welcome to the New Books Network. Thanks, Eric. I love being here with you. Thanks. It's it's great to be here with you. And I'm so excited to talk about your new book, Maiden to Mother, Unlocking Our Archetypical Journey into the Mature Feminine. And one of the things I want to say about the book right away is that it's just so beautifully and powerfully written. Um, you can tell you know, your talent as a writer um, and not only as, as somebody who's very wise and sage comes through. And I want to start with just that metaphor that's hidden in the subtitle. Unlocking, mm-hmm. right? It could have been something so much more boring like accessing um, or coming into contact or, you know, something <laughs> like that. But there's so much that's suggestive about yeah. what's locked away and who's doing the locking and how do we get out. Um, so I just wonder if if you take us into the book through through that image that you conjure for us right at the start. Oh, okay. So that was a that was a cool discussion. I this was a huge initiation. I'd never written a book like like this. I've written like s- small self-published books that I never edited and you know, I don't think anyone some people read them, but um they're very they weren't professional. And so they kept saying you need a subtitle and um the title seemed obvious after a few changes it got obvious that <laughs> that's what we should call it but the subtitle we we really we really went back and forth on for a long time and so um basically a, a, um I, I, there was a moment of bodily wisdom when when a f- when a few more were passed over to me that um they were thinking about that my you know the team and the publishing house was thinking about and um this one hit and um, because we, I knew I needed to give more context because it's not if you Google ma- if you Googled made into mother in 2015, when I was Googling this phrase, you'd find a three word, a, f- a few WordPress blogs about an actual biological birth ceremony. You wouldn't find the archetypal journey of, you know, basically um, child to adult, <laughs> um, for the feminine, on the feminine path. Um, and, you know, and so that's why so many m- mothers in, in, in patriarchy are still in, in what I call wounded maiden, which is maiden that has not been able to progress into mother or pass the, the threshold into the archetypal summer, her, 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 her um, her seasonal reality of archetypal summer. So, um, so when I was Googling that, you know, it was just blessing ways. So, so they were like, yeah, most people are going to assume this is about a biological birth. So we need to give it some context and nothing was sexy enough, you know, mm. <laughs> like you were saying, accessing yeah, <laughs> and, okay. um, unlock was, 
well, I just pictured like the treasure trove of rites of passage, you know, the treasure trove of, um, you know, initiational wisdom <laughs> um, and blueprints and maps for women lost in the wasteland of women and femmes lost in the wasteland of, of patriarchy. And it was like, yes, it's been locked away culturally, you know? And so right. it is this underground tomb or um, um, what are those things? Like a sarcophagus you open and you like all the treasure troves of the goddess come out. And, and so that, that made it sound hotter. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the, the essence of your book is, is just the opposite of the culture, right? So the culture, as you lay it out, says, Maiden is where you want to be. Maiden is where you want to stay. Uh -huh. For God's sakes, don't get older. Don't start to move For into the love your. Of God. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and then even like when I'm like, that sounds sexier, Eric. Like I hope you don't mind when I just like jam and kind of interrupt you, but I'm just playing with you. But like when the 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 um like just like I love you know I love talking about this stuff. And so um, but like maturity like has been like you know, like, like Peter Pan would be like, you know, we don't want to grow up. Bad things happen to, you know, when you get older and, um, you know, like Snow White's evil queen and all the evil stepmothers, you know, to become an old woman is to become angry and shriveled up and jealous, you know, and it's like, you do not want to grow up to the culture. So when I'm saying like, I want to make this sexy, I'm serious. I want to make it hot to grow, to, to mature. Like nature makes it so hot, the way she's exploding everywhere right now, you know, it is hot to mature, to self-actualize. So sorry to interrupt you. No, I think that's great. So, so let's start with, let's, let's go there. Um, so, so the movement from maiden to motherhood, right, is this archetypical movement, um, mm -hmm. right, this kind of. Well, we're going to talk more about that, but like this archetypal as we get away from typical, right? Yeah, yeah. Archetypal is different. We all have these archetypes within us, and we can access and embody them at different stages of our life. And and as as you make this journey, it's the journey that you're charting out in the book, right? You start to mm -hmm. unlock all of these things, including making it sexy. So so yeah. when you went as you, I'll do it in shorthand. When you went from pink to red. Right? right when you went from the colors of maiden to the colors of mother, right. like what was part of that unlocking? Like, you know, like life is sexier, whereas the culture right. would say, "Oh my God, no! Stay as young as possible for as long right. as possible." Yeah, no, that's such a great question, and it's hysterical that that's the line that the pink to red thing is. That's the one of the lines I said. You know, I don't want this in. This was an old line, and um, it was, and they kept it in. They chose to kept keep it in because a lot of my, you know, something might not resonate with me anymore. And then I read it through new eyes, and I'm like, I can see how that could help you, like learn to like mature in your. Um, you know, it, your soul style, you know? Um, so it's so funny you said that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is, it is true that I was dressing in Maiden for a very long time. And so culturally in Maiden, that meant hot, right? Which was like, I was part of the rock and roll scene for a long time. So that meant like super high heels, super long extensions, super short dresses, and your boobs like pushed up, tons of makeup, you know. And so I, you know, I was like the rock and roll wife or look or whatever. I'm the rock journalist look and um, and um, just the backstage gal. And so that was an exterior skin that no longer matched the interior, right? So it's about like, we when we when we take this journey and we take it with a Sumerian goddess, we goddess Nana, and we and we walk through the stages of rebirth. You've got and like Campbell said, you've got Joseph Campbell said, you've got to the old skin has to die. So there's a time when I was just like wearing black in between skins. I was like, I'm I don't there's there there isn't like a formed mother in me yet. I'm just no longer the maiden, so I have nothing to project outwardly right now. And then there's this readornment phase of reascension coming back up to life as this, as this new version of yourself. And so that for me, actually it's, it's changed uh, more now. I'm in this thing, I'm in this um, stage called blog and look, which is um, a bohemian st style, which is like those, you know, a countercultural 
sort of whimsical, um, um, like our, our artist's life, um, that really throws out all the rules. So it's a, you actually see a lot of women at midlife wearing what's called the leg and look style, which is like, I've left the, you know, the, the binary prison of patriarchy for the mother's rainbow garden, you know, it's just sort of like this expression of liberation because it does like, I do get taught, like everyone has a comment wherever I go about how I'm dressed. Cause you just don't see people in like orgasmic colors and gowns and robes. And, you know, you don't really see that unless you're like going to the circus or something. And so it has been an expression of of a liberated woman to to so I will say that that there there was the woman within the culture dressing for the culture following trends right following following copying doing whatever she was told by the the media and the culture and then there comes the liberated midlife <laughs> femme who's just like I, I my soul guides me as to what to wear and it is an expression of my soul and and that will make you stand out. <laughs> It'll make you stand out because it immediately says that I'm not dressing for you. I'm dressing I'm having the time of my life dressing for me. <laughs> exactly, which is I I mean one of the messages that comes across again and again is, you know, internalized pri- patriarchy is about right. trying to be the pleaser and so mm-hmm. To suddenly show up as I am not that you are seeing something very now. different. Yeah, you go from pleaser to disruptor. Uh, you know, from upholding patriarchy to, to protesting it and disrupting it. Um, when you go through this journey of, you know, and this is a privileged journey for because I it does because if you're already marginalized by patriarchy, if you've already if your if your people have never been centered by patriarchy or protected, or if um you know or if you've been marginalized or exiled by you know for a long time, this is no new thing of how to live outside of patriarchy. People have had not had the choice. But this is, you know, this is this is a, a party of liberation for those outside of the patriarchy. And that's what I call the mother's, you know, the rainbow garden, the bohemian garden, where we're all children of the mother and we all belong. And um, I don't, you know, once you get outside of patriarchy, whether you're exiled, you'll have, you know, you have, I certainly had like ageist grief when I started to feel invisible to patriarchal um, men and, uh, and then I realized I was out, I was gone, I was out, I was free. <laughs> and so, you know, there was definitely grief. And then, um, and then a realization that there was this whole other beautiful world of people that were never uh, centered by or protected by a patriarchy and that they were the liberation, you know, they were, they were the party. And uh, so that's where I've been at midlife. It's a great place to end. Or, no, it's a great place to begin. It, I, it feels like, yeah, it really is a beautiful place to begin. The second act of my life is outside. So I, of- I can imagine some listeners right now who have, have been at the party and are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then <laughs> I can imagine that there's also a set of listeners that are, are like, wait, wait, what party? You've now, you've, you've got me intrigued. Yeah. Could you just, maybe let's loop back. Um what is the archetypical journey into the mature feminine when you okay. when you go from mother or, or from maiden to mother? Um, sure. Let's let's loop back the folks that are like, wait, wait, she's ended up in this really great place. Wait, how did how, how did you get there again? <laughs> the Bohemian Rainbow Garden, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so so we, inside of so there was there's maiden, there's mother, there's crown. Those are the feminine life stages of my particular ancestry, which is almost all Celtic was some Nordic. And so, um, so it's really important for me that everyone find their true ancestry. So they are, you know, not, um, co-opting anybody else's or appropriating anybody else's. And it feels terrible to not know your bloodline and your ancestry. It feels, it, it feels like not belonging, you know, which is what colonization has done is, has severed so many of us from our, um, whether we were part side of the colonizers in our blood or, or they're pressed, it was ever so many from their, their cultures. Um, 
And so um, a big piece of belonging was figuring out that I'm a Celtic witch and these memories, I know where these memories are from and starting to place memories to geographic locations and really cool things like that. Um, And so I I knew there was a maiden, a mother, a crone. I had no idea what it meant archetypally because we don't, the archetypal, you know, union language isn't really like, you don't really hear it at the checkout at the grocery store, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and just like the feminine, I had to almost die to retrieve the, the wisdom of the feminine um, um, because it wasn't on the upper world. It wasn't in the upper culture in 2011 when I um, um, almost didn't stay here. <laughs> um, and so um, because of the pain of, being a you know a human in in the wasteland of patriarchy um it's it's impossible to to thrive on a soul level here yes you can thrive materially and and all the um artificial uh terms of success that they've laid out but it will never feel good you'll never really truly be happy because that comes from living a soul-led life to be joyful and anyway um and being in community um, which is also very hard in the isolation of patriarchy um, and the hyper individualism of patriarchy. So I was, I didn't have any rites of passage. I didn't have any mentors. I, I, and I was, um, I was starting to have like kind of a name in the spiritual world in like 20, probably four, you know, I, it started around like 20, I started in 2011 um, writing under the pen name, do a girl. And it, um, it really grew and grew because I was starting to channel the, the great mother and, and, um, my writings grew and my community grew. And then around like 2015, I was, you know, sold out retreats, sold out everything again, like checking the boxes of patriarchal success, um, as the feminine. So still, you know, talking the feminine, but walking the patriarchy, not knowing any, that these systems were deeply embedded inside of me thinking Mm -hmm. they were some dragon I could fight on the outside. And not even knowing about all the, as Bell Hooks talks about, like all the different heads of patriarchy. So thinking patriarchy is just like basically about gender equality and caring for the planet, but not knowing anything about intersectional feminism, which fights for all bodies oppressed under patriarchy and intersects with, um, um, and also is about, you know, capitalism, colonialism, all the like really ugly pieces, um, the whiteness, the the ableism, the ageism, the misogyny, like you could go on and on. But you have to be clear at all times about which head you're fighting. You can't just call it a monolith, the monolith of patriarchy, because then it just remains this impossible beast. But you have to be clear about like which piece of your internalized patriarchy is at war with you now. <laughs> um, and so, but I didn't know any of this. And so I, um, I, I, w- I had hosted a retreat and it was one of those sold out things. And I, and I walked away feeling terrible about it, really empty, really horrible. I, um, and, you know, I think I like, I was in bed, very depressed. And my co-retreat person called me and she'd been doing maturity work through um, Animus Valley, Bill Plotkin's work out in Colorado. And, and I had not. And she said, I'm never doing a retreat like that again. And and I said, well, why not? But I, I needed someone to say it, like diagnose, like a diagnosis. Mm. And I was like, I know there's something wrong, but what is it? And she was like, well, those weren't women. Those were girls. And um, it was a glorified sleepover and nothing got accomplished. And she was right. I mean, I sat down and I started to write the traits of the women that were with me at that retreat. And I was writing down words like reactive, vain, um, selfish, um, you know, fragile, um, all this stuff. And then I, you know, and I was like, and I, I needed to get really clear that these women were my mirror and that's what I was attracting at the time. I'm not talking about law of attraction or anything like that. It's just the level I was at and the women that were like me, mm-hmm. the women that were like me were coming to my retreats. That's how it works. Um, and, uh, and I had to take a really good look, long look at that. And around that time I was reading Marion Woodman. I forget which book specifically, I'm pretty sure it was dancing with, in the flames. If it wasn't that I was leaving my father's house. And cause those were the two books I had at the time in California, I remember. And she was dropping these crumbs as wise crones do to help, uh, mothers and maidens make it through the forest. And, and it was, she, she dropped the crumbs of immature feminine and mature feminine. Mm. And 
she didn't leave. She didn't tell me exactly what immature feminine was. And she didn't even tell me exactly what mature feminine was, but I sure as hell knew I wasn't the mature feminine. I sure as hell knew I was the immature feminine, like a body resonance. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, how do I get to the mature feminine? And, um, and then what is the mature feminine? And then piecing together that like, it's, it's a life stage we are meant to come into. Otherwise we are like young Carl Jung calls, who was Marion Woodman's um, teacher, the eternal child, right? And that's why wouldn't a government want eternal children, right? Because they fight amongst each other. They keep each other down. They ask for permission. They need permission to live their lives, you know? Um, And I started to piece together, like, specifically, why would it keep women so immature? And of course, that makes a ton of sense why and how would they do that through media, through culture, you know, through fairy tale, like you name it. Um, and, you know, and it began around the witch trials and, you know, when a woman's power, um, you know, if you, you know, if you are pretty polite, are you pretty pleasing and polite, you'll survive. Otherwise you'll be killed, you know? Um, and then, and then, um, so I was like, okay, so we, so I broke it into life stages of the, the maiden is the immature feminine and the mother is the mature feminine, archetypally speaking. And, um, and that these were, and that a healthy maiden is like a healthy spring, um, a new moon energy, the beginning of the day. It's a yes to life. It's a beginning. Um, it's highly creative. It's got a ton of energy, you know, and it's, it's healthy. I always think of, you know, a barefoot young woman running through a field, a, a spring field in a white nightgown. It's just like crisp and new. <laughs> That's what I used to always see, but I probably see, you know, I, I more see like a bud pushing up through the dark earth and you can just see a little glimmer of what it might be next. Just, you know, when it's a tiny bit opened, the armor of its bud that then needs that armor to push up through that earth to find, find its place in the sun. So I, so I was like, I, my seasonal reality, which is a term I think Stephen Jenkinson uses, yes, is that, um, is that I should have been in summer. I should have bloomed. I should have been a woman by now. Mm. And what is a woman? Well, I know what the culture tells me. It's tiny, 20, polite, um, tight, you know, <laughs> like, and, uh, and I was like, but what's a woman, you know? Right. And, the, the the goddess I kept waiting on my mother to to appear as instead she appeared a small frail scared girl and I was like well okay I'm a I'm a girl in a woman's body how do I become a woman and um, that began uh, deep work with goddess Anana whose whose own father said she was the art of a woman like she knew the art of a woman which is to die a thousand times like the earth. And to just keep burning through the old versions and old skins and illusions of her until she burned down and rose as her like truest identity without what the culture or others had had put upon her. And so um, it began this deep, deep journey of I'm going to rebuild the bridge. This rite of passage that they stole when they stole the goddess and they stole when they buried the village and they stole our, our earthly religions and our seasonal realities and they stole the ceremonies we would do in village to witness each other through these great passages. And I'm going to build it back. And and I guess I fucking did it because <laughs> I started to do it piece by piece and then it became real. That is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to, I want to underscore a couple of things just to, to clarify, I think, you know, I'm imagining a listener, like there's nothing wrong with maiden in its season. Right. You heard right. me say that, right? Right. I should have yes. that thought. It's only when she gets stuck at the threshold in, where she should naturally be blooming. So it's imagine like a fruit outside gets stuck. If it got stuck in its, in its bud, right. Or the, the flower, it dies inside. So it's this feeling of inner death, but no alchemy of that into life, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so maiden in in its healthy is wonderful. I have a little maiden. I have a five year old, <laughs> you know, and she is full maiden, healthy, vital, yes, adventure, you know, creative rebel. <laughs> it's just like if she stayed a little girl past, you know, twenty five you know, past her quarter life seasonal reality when it's time to come into, you know, who she is. Like to, there's a, there's a time to stop needing to ask out 
and learning to ask in, right? And that's around that time. I don't think she, I don't think we really bloom until around like 30, but like the seeking out endlessly has to stop the rooting and the finding ourselves and the rooting into the body and the rooting into the earth and the blooming open with the gifts we came to give to the larger community, you know, that has to, and pollinating, offering, opening those, and, and, and as the feminine offering that to the wasteland, our soul led gifts, you know, um, and, and so that, that maturity of like, I don't need to ask anyone the way anymore. Mm. I don't need to ask anybody else who I am anymore. Right. It's that inner descent towards, towards soul, that Marian Woodman, that coming home to ourselves, right. The, the search is over. Yeah. And can you, can you distinguish for us, like there's a, there's a patriarchal vision of the mother as like endlessly giving, endless resource. It's the way that we use and abuse the earth, yep. right? Um, and then there's this idea that you have and, and you share in your book of like the mother as medicine and as healing. And so there are still gifts to offer, but it's it's radically different from a patriarchal idea of motherhood. Right. Can you take us further into to that distinction? Um, um, I think so. Yeah, um, why think, not? Yeah, I think that um, so so there's the, the, the this construct, this false construct of the good mother, right? That just never says no, um, endlessly gives. You don't have to give back to her. She's fine, right? You she, she just take and take from her. She'll be fine. Right. Um, and um, and you know, for me, that's the patriarchalized good mother. And I'm like, her name, she's not called the good mother. She's called the great mother. And that's the distinction for me is that in her greatness, like, which is her full spectrum um, of life. That means in, as a, as, as wholeness, that means her destruction, her terror, her anger, her rage, her sorrow, her lust, and her joy, and her wonder, and her care, and her unconditional love. But she's not just again patriarchy is a system of binaries, as as you know. Mm-hmm. So she's not just the good mother. So she's the great mother, which is she encompasses all of it—the darkness and the light and the you know—and and so. Um, she's also Clarissa Pinkola Estes talks about this in her book, Warming the Stone Child, but you know, she's not a smotherer or, and she's not a doormat or any of that. In fact, she is modeling wholeness. She is modeling courage. She is modeling, you know, I call it the mother moat, but boundaries. Then the, I, and I say like, it's not just the knowing like the K N O W-I-N-G that makes a woman wise. It's mm-hmm. also the N-O-ing, the no, you know? And so the sacred mother, the, 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 the sacred rage of the great mother right now is a hard no, right? No, mm-hmm. this shall not stand. No, this will not pass. No, I've had enough, right? And so they were wrong. You can't just abuse her and expect to, for her to just keep on giving, you know, she will fight back. She does have things. She, you know, you should be afraid. You know, that's how I feel. It's like the mature feminine is like, is like, um, fear me, mm-hmm. respect me, bow to me. You know, I am sacred. I am your mother. You know, I, I put you in this world. I can take you out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like some real respect, you know, and that's because the healthy Whole, you know, great mother in a woman respects herself, you know? Um, and so most of us were not, that was not what was happening in patriarchal houses with the model of the feminine that we had. It was, you know, the other knows better. Mm-hmm. Father knows best. Father God knows best. The community, what they say is our holy law about us. You know, it was not we know best. I know best. My body is the wisest. Your body is the wisest. You know, it wasn't any of that. It was um, outsource for love, outsource for wisdom, outsource for permission, outsource, outsource, not insource. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um I wanted to clap while you were saying some of those things. I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying. So, so 
one of the things that that's so intriguing about the book and and so so clear right is that if you want to look for patriarchal authority in a patriarchal society you know you you look anywhere and you will find it definitely um <laughs> and so you were you were forced back to kind of figure it out for yourself like you said you you had some breadcrumbs from Marion Woodman but there was there was no map right yeah. there was no there wasn't the even the culture that now exists of of women sharing this information online and empowering other women no there wasn't uh, even that <laughs> there wasn't enough so could yeah. you could you tell us a little bit about you 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 lead people into this in the book but accessing sources of truth that are that are within that are intuitive that um right that you you have this map within you if you can figure out how to access it i guess that's the unlocking um, mm-hmm. but that's something you had to do on your own to figure sure. out how to in a sense self initiate i did self initiate and we shouldn't have to <laughs> right um yeah exactly um so um I will say, so I was talking about like that time when I was ready to leave here. Um, so I had the suicide attempt and I had a Kundalini awakening that I write about in the book. And that's, we're not talking like anything to do with like Yogi Bhajan or anything like that. Um, we're talking about, um, a, you know, an absolute like rip up through the chakras of this high voltage um, life-saving primordial energy that came through on the heels of that um, on the heels of that experience. And I would never recommend it to anyone. It was like having my, you know, every, um, every extremity, like, like forced into an electrical socket, like being shocked awake. And, um, and it, it opened up a channel where this new voice came in voice I had been realized I've been waiting for my whole life and searching for. And it's something I came in remembering and asking about goddesses, the goddess. I came in drawing them. I came in with memories of Avalon, which is um, the island of the goddess. Um, and it's, it's mythical. Like who knows if it was real, but I have very real memories from that time. And, and um, they had all been sort of gaslit and pushed back down by, by adulthood by the time this happened at 31. And I remembered this voice um, and this feeling, this energy of this, this, the, the, this beautiful, the depth of true feminine love and true feminine, and en- like divine, godlike, pr- primordial energy that just was the most loving thing I had ever felt in my life. And I was like, "There you are. And if you're here, I can live here. I cannot live here without." this energy. This is a wasteland. I cannot be here, but I can be here with you. And there was this, there was this conversation that happened with this sort of massive white specter over this horse field I was living at. I was guided out. I could see all the energy moving out of my hands. I could see, and I've seen that in an ayahuasca ceremony. I've seen how much energy, like light comes out of my hands and out of my feet, and out of my body, but I could see it in the middle of the day. And um, from for a while, just everything was kind of this like pink light. And I was, and I, my, um, everything was so soft and it was like wobbling like a newborn to get up and walk to this field. And there was like the specter of, uh, it was just like Shakti. It was just like this white, m- huge moving dancing specter over this horse field. And the caveat was like, I've saved your life, but now you, your life is mine. Like you work for me now. And I remember being so thrilled to have a purpose. Mm. I mean, I'd never had one. And um, my purpose was other people. I was a rock journalist and um, and and um, arts editor. So I just interviewed people who had found theirs and warmed myself like an orphan over their fire. But I never thought I would have an inner one. And she gave me one. And it's it, at first it was like, I don't know if you've seen Quills with like about the Marquis de Sade with Jeffrey Rush, I think. <laughs> but it, it was like... It was like they, there's this moment that the guard, the prison guards, take his pen away, and and he's because he's writing all over the walls, and he's writing this stuff that they consider sacrilege. This, you know, and um, he's writing all these erotic stories, and so they take his pen away. So then he like, then he like cuts himself so he can write with his blood, and then, like, and then they like 
they bandage everything up. I forget what he finds next. It's like his feces or something. It's like, I was like, I know what this felt like. Like I can't, I can't stop. Like I couldn't stop writing. And I, it used to be like getting carving blood from a stone to write. And now I couldn't turn it off and it was exhilarating and also exhausting. And I spent years working with this, how to turn it on and off thing. And, um, and so I don't know. I forget why I was telling you that, that story. Oh, so I've always been, since that moment, I can navigate an underworld. I can navigate an initiation. It's why I do it for other women so often. I do it all the time, I, you know, in my my work. So I, I, can, I can pretty much follow the signs, um, like, almost like I think of like moles through tunnels, you know, like they're blind, but like all their senses are working to get them through the tunnel. And, and I can like read the writing on the wall in the cave and I can like hear what the goddess is asking of us next and things like that. So, so I, that was, that was, oh, that was fun for me. I could piece the steps together. It was more about as a neurodivergent woman, like how am I going to make this make sense to other people? And, and, and some, and I always wor- I always wonder when I'm talking even now, like, am I making sense? But I'm speaking something called mother tongue. So father tongue is, and Maureen Murdoch talks about this in a heroine's journey. So father tongue is all that logic, all that prove it, all that weigh it and measure it. And it, you know, if it, it, to, if it really happened, you have to prove it in a tangible physical way and everything has to have order and linear structure, et cetera. Mother tongue is my whole body knows. Hmm. I have. I have goosebumps or my body's a yes or my body opened or my body closed or I heard this word or I saw this sight. You know, it's a, it's more of a sensual um, um, way of of navigating. And um, that's how I speak and navigate. And it's amazing how when women first come to me, they're kind of always going, this isn't going to make sense. And I'm like, probably the thing you're next about to say is probably will make more sense to me than, you know, than, you know, it's like, it's like, cause we say things like my body knew, does that make sense? And it's like, it makes so much sense. You've just been totally brainwashed to ignore your body and ignore your knowing. But yes, my, I, 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 I feel and, and, and resonate and, and understand mother tongue, mother wisdom. So it, it is, a, it does, it's not very logical at all, but it's a knowing. I love that. I love that. And and we are we are definitely on a podcast, the New Books Network that that does academic books for the most part. So it is a it is a father tongue podcast and I love that we are we are celebrating the mother tongue. Okay. When you are working with with women and uh-huh. do you find that you're helping them recover a kind of innate ability to speak mother tongue or is it like a language that that you have to be around someone to acquire um recovering recovering unlocking yeah (laughs) giving permission to to watering you know nurturing (laughs) remembering (laughs) yeah it's all remembering right right that's what I always say. It's like, I don't have any more goddess in me than you guys. I just remembered mine. <laughs> you got to remember yours. And you'll remember her in circle, you know? Talk about the circle because it comes up so beautifully throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, well, circle. I mean, it's so uh, as I continue, so the work I, a lot of the work I'm in now is um, deconstructing like the pa- patriarchal systems inside of um you know, modern feminine spirituality and um, soul work. And um, a lot of us has, have been, you know, talking the feminine, but but running on these patriarchal scripts and it's causing a lot of harm to ourselves um, and, um, and to others. Um, you're just not s- safe inside of a patriarchal space. You know, patriarchal space is, is naturally extractive and dominating and hierarchical. And um, you just can't do true healing, especially for the feminine that longs to sit in circle together the way we used to as witches, as, as women of the mother and the, and the great mother. Um, and so um, for me, like burning any pedestal around like othering me as some sort of, you know, teacher. I mean, I am a teacher, but like othering me as a, 
some sort of like there's this con- dangerous conflation of like celebrity and healing that you know they they should not be in the same room together. Celebrity is the is the art of selling a lie. Basically, you're selling a, a role, you're selling an image, and that should not be conflated with healing, which is you know to tell the truth, <laughs> to be in the a, tr- truth is healing. You know, um, healing is truth. So celebrity is the art of selling a lie, and it shouldn't. You know, it, it just this idea of people like me as celebrities or something is that um, I do get pedestaled and and put on a hierarchy and, and that doesn't help anyone uh, and also alienates me. Um, it's really isolating. Um, and so for me, to there's always like a time when I'm like, OK, if I want to keep making this work work for me and there's no way out, it shows me I didn't choose it. I'm stuck here. But, you know, um, it, it basically means like what what internalized patriarchal script is limit is limiting me from being in the joy of this now from being in the healing with this and definitely the 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 hierarchy um and so so sitting in circle with women is something that you know we've done since it's we sit in circles it's the shape of the womb and the moon and the sun and the earth the nest you know um and it and it abolishes hierarchy in a container so like i'm sitting i'm we're not in a transactional hierarchical space we're in a um a relational communal space where again no one has more goddess in her than the other i may hold the space because i'm good at that as archetypal mother to root and to hold and to keep it safe but we're in a relational listening and receiving where no one is above the other um and that lends itself to safety to vulnerability um and to oneness um and to in community is you know joanna macy says it's our only chance you know, our only chance for the, the planet is to come back to community with each other, living in village, living in a communal and a relationship with the land, with our bodies, with each other is basically the only chance we've got. Hmm. And circle fosters that, you know, we're in this together, um, not we're alone and we have to follow a leader. In fact, the whole point of maturity work is that you don't ask out anymore, like you do for help and community, but you know yourself, you know what you need, you know where you want to go, you know? Um, And so helping women hear themselves in circle, it's a really reflective place where women can hear their own stories in circle and heal through hearing their story from another woman's mouth. Um, they feel, they realize they're, they're not alone and they also can ask their own questions so as to hear their own answers. That's really what the maiden to mother work is, is starting a reflexive relationship with the maiden within, with the mother within, with the crone within to, to be your own medicine woman, hear your own answers. Because what I say again and again in the book and about this work is in order to heal ourselves, we must be able to hear ourselves because that is what heals. That, that's that's a Fisher King tale, which I could tell another time. But you know, the question of what what ails you is what heals this broken man. No one else asked him because he was on this hierarchy thing where no one treated him like a person or a human. And finally, they a a a, a knight who um who is like the the heart of the fool, or you could call like maiden or prince archetype, who just who does what who dares to do what no one else will do. He walks up to the king. And says, what ails thee? And the king begins to talk about what is hurting. And in that moment, he is healed because he can hear his own pain and then tend to it, right? Mm-hmm. But until someone asked him, he couldn't see it. He couldn't, he couldn't pull it outside of him. He couldn't understand what was wrong with himself. And so when we learn to do that ourselves, how are you? What do you need? What can I do for you? And we, when we really, really cultivate that relationship again and repair that relationship and stop betraying that inner voice, that's when true healing happens. That's and so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's, there's, there's something that you've got on your website and I think ties into this. And I just want to circle back to it, circle back to it, um, which is that you said in writing this book, you realized you're not a writer, surprised. but a storyteller. <laughs> Could you talk? Yes. Ta- I mean, and we just listened to you tell a story, and it was so moving um, 
tell me a little bit more about that as somebody who's a who 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 I would have said was a fellow writer, but now I I want to be a a sister storyteller. (laughs) Well, you mean if a listener was thinking that? Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, I love your questions. They're so fun and so caring, and you can tell you really thought about this, and it just means a lot to me. Anyway, um, I so yeah, you know, it was one of those like. Um, false costumes I was wearing because I just thought, well, this, I don't know. I thought this, you know, okay, so I love to write. Um, Maybe I'm a writer. My mother was a writer and we often carry the unlived dreams of our parents inside of us. Um, And it, it just kind of thought, well, that's what I have to be. And that's what people call me. But I was starting to realize like, I don't like, my ADHD, which was only diagnosed in um, in in early winter, what it was like. Even trying to read books, like I read books by like opening them in the middle, starting at the back, pulling something. Like I've never been able to read a book in a linear fashion, and you know, I I I I, I pop into it like a Mary Poppins bag and pull out what I need in that moment. But I'm not a linear person. And uh, we started to have like massive problems with um, my structure. You know, clearly they loved my ideas. They loved me. But like, can she write an A to B book or ABC book? No, she can't. Why not? You know, I'm banging our head, my head against the wall. Why I physically couldn't do it. Um, and I called in a witch doctor poet who I love, Jessica Craft, and she midwifed the book with me because she has a she like went to Yale and she's very neurotypical. I love you, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Smarty pants. Um, and, then, um, and so, um, you know, I was like. I don't know. I just like, I'm, I, I was in the dark of, I'm not a writer. I was, I really hit that point where I was like, I'm not a writer. And then I don't know what happened. I, I kind of just like gave up and said, okay, I'm not a writer. I can't write this book by myself, which I don't think anyone should do anything by themselves. And birthing a book is a midwifery process. It's a creative child that you need to push out of your body. You're going to need some fucking help with that. Mm. <laughs> Especially one this big that like creates a whole new consciousness, you know? It's like not easy at all. And so um, when that died, you know um, – I started to lean more and more into, I was in the darkness for a bit. And then I started to lean more and more into the class in the classes I was teaching, just realizing I was telling amazing stories. And every time I told them I'd light up more and more things would happen, like more and more like new, um, like they say about the Starhawk says about the Anana myth and all good myths is that every time you open it up, you know, it's a living myth. So it lives with you. And every time you open it up, something new pops out at you that you, you hadn't, noticed before, but now you're in the place to see it. And now it's like a light in the dark for you. And you didn't even notice it last time, but now you're living a different, in a different place. And the, and the myth has moved with you to this new place. Right. So that's, yes. uh, right. It's, that's hot. Right. It's real. Yeah. And so, and so I realized every time I told my stories, they were turning into living myths where I would find something new for me that I could, you know, pull out and, and show like a, like a gem from, from the treasure, like this, and this piece is, you know, like I want to, I would celebrate this new gem of the story. And I realized I was loving it and I was really good at it. And I'd never in my wildest dreams thought of myself, I'm a storyteller. And now it's like, you know, so offering this false cape that even though it like looked more prestigious to me in like a patriarchal sense and like people I really admired were those people, I was not. Okay, well, what am I? And then with the the death of this cloak of me just going, okay, I'm not this, throw it in the fire, fuck, came that the, there was darkness and then there was like, this is what I am. And it was so much more me. <laughs> and that's the truth. We just keep burning through these illusions um, that make us ill. That's why they start. It starts with ill. Ill illusion. These lies mm. of ourselves, and then you burn down to the truth, like Marion Woodman said. So I did have to go through the fire of like, you are not this. Okay, then what am I? And then that. And now that now I say, you know, once I said I was a storyteller, this is how it works with me, which like is fine. But like now I see everyone be, like changing their bios and stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's because it's 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 freer. It's like writer, author. You know, I can tell a really great story, and I love them, and they're my medicine, and they're my you know Ram Dass like. His human messy stories are why I love him, and I am 
the same. You know, I love to tell stories where we find ourselves in them because I really believe those are the kind of stories that, that heal us. Because Eric, if I were sitting here and I'd be like, Eric, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, Bitch, I got to go. You know, like, I don't want <laughs> Right. But if I say, Eric, can I tell you a story? You're like, oh, let me settle in and get some tea. Yeah. And open up. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, I'd be, it could be the same teaching, but wouldn't you prefer? Wouldn't you prefer? If I told you a cool story and got all animated and you could find yourself in it, I think Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think I think true stories are alive, you know, yeah. writing not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my next book is going to be for like neurodivergence like me, where I just tell a bunch of stories and you can just open up to any story you want. You don't have to worry. Am I tracking it? Did I miss something? No. Just pull out what you need and carry on. <laughs> Well, speaking of, of what's next, um, I know we're, we're, we're getting close on time and I want to be mindful of that, but you're, you're moving into us sagas. Can you yes. tell us about, I, I read the etymology on your website of saga yeah. and was blown away. Can you tell right. us about the saga you're going to do? Sure. The saga stories are just where, you know, from the truth of this, this true identity of me, I just sit and tell my stories and, um, you know, wrap them up in themes. Um, and the first one is this Thursday, I'm telling the story of the, what I just told you. So sorry, <laughs> but it's like the neurodivergent mother, try, solo mother in the pandemic, trying to write a book without knowing you know, with undiagnosed and just the breakdown of the world and her own initiation into maturity. Um, So it was pretty wild. And I'm going to read some passages from it. But the next ones are about like, I'm really trying to get away from, again, like you're talking about like the good mother. There's also like the good woman teacher, like the men can get away with some bullshit in the spiritual world. But women have to still be like, I am good. I am nice. And like, I just basically have, through my liberation work that I continue to do, my intersectional feminist work, basically, like, if you can imagine, like, making a paper mache doll of my nice girl and then burning her and then putting those ashes in, like, a big joint and, like, smoking. <laughs> so, like, I have no interest in nice. <laughs> so I don't want to fit that mold anymore. And so I'm going to tell stories about, like, sex, death, and rock and roll. And like, also like the truth of my, my story of motherhood and all of that, which like came out of an abusive relationship with my shaman. You know, I just want to go there as usual because otherwise what's the point? Um, and so my next book is called the last patriarchal man. And it's the story of me healing my trauma bond to the patriarchalized masculine and my intersectional feminist awakening as, you know, recovering white feminist and wounded maiden feminist who was like, me, 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 instead of the world, the world, the world, you know? Sarah, I am so glad you are in the world, the world, the world. And I hope you come back when the next book comes out. Oh, I will. I would love it. That would be great. Sarah Durham Wilson, thank you for being on the New Books Network. So fun. Thank you for having me, Eric. My name is Eric LeMay, and you've been listening to an interview with Sarah Durham Wilson, author of Maiden to Mother, Unlocking Our Archetypal Journey into the Mature Feminine, here on the New Books Network.